0: Welcome to this week's sermon from Heights Worship Center. We believe God has something for you today. We hope this message encourages and inspires you. So I've been talking about peace for the last couple of weeks, and today we're going to talk about the path of peace and we're going to continue in the Christmas story. And um, before we do, I just want to recap because we're building on all that we've been talking about. And so a couple of weeks ago we were talking about Isaiah 41:10. And the fear? Re- Hello, Oh it's there. Okay. The reason why we don't need to give in to fear or anxiety is why, Because God is with me. He is my God, he strengthens me, he helps me, and he upholds me, right? He is with us, he's got us. And the other thing we learned is that whatever dictates your thoughts will determine your emotions. So whatever you're thinking about will determine your emotions. So it's really important that when something happens that causes fear, or worry, stress, anxiety, that while that's not wrong, that's our initial reaction, that's normal, it's not sinful, it's okay. In that moment though, we have to make a choice to take our thoughts captive and direct them into the right place. And when we learn to do that, then our emotions will follow. Now, I don't know about you, but I had ample opportunity to practice this all week long. Anybody else been practicing this (laughs) with technical difficulties, with all kinds of things happening? It was an opportunity to put my thoughts in the right place to manage my emotions. And so I hope that that's been helping you guys as well. And so here are the keys to peace that we've already talked about. And I want to revisit this for you. So we learned how, number one, you got to seek God above everything else. Seek God first above everything else. And then remember the birds and the flowers. God cares for them, provides for them. You are more valuable to him than birds and flowers. Therefore, he will provide for you. And we have to live right. We also learned that you got to pray first. Everybody say, pray first. first. So you got to seek God first and pray first. They kind of go hand in hand. We also talked about Last week, how in almost every verse we read about peace, there is the same command to be thankful. And so we're seeing that there is a direct tie between gratitude and peace. So this week, what you don't know is on Friday, as I was working on the live stream to get rid of the glitch, we noticed the LED was broken. We had a show yesterday. It's afternoon on Friday. And the LED is broken. And I was just like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that this is all going to work out. We call the tech. He's here. We were here until 9 o'clock. And he was working on it for about five hours. And the whole time, I'm just literally walking around the church going, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And he can't get it fixed. And I'm just smiling. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, you have a choice. Gratitude will help you stay in peace even when other things are not quite working as you want them to. We also talked about the importance of fixing our thoughts and how you gotta practice it. Everybody say, practice. Practice. This means that this is not our normal first response. So we have to train ourselves. We gotta practice. That means at first you might spiral with your initial emotions, but as you learn, as you practice, you can learn how to take those thoughts captive quicker. So you don't go spiraling out and you can regain your footing in Christ and live and walk in peace. The other key to peace is how important it is to walk daily with Christ. And we talked about being led. Let peace be that umpire, right, to make that decision for you on what to do. We also talked about the Prince of Peace, Jesus, one of the names that he was given in announcing the birth of the Messiah. And we talked about how peace is not a feeling, but peace is what? The presence of a person, the prince of peace. And last week we talked about how you can have peace with God, peace in God, peace with others, and peace within. And so today, the path of peace. We're going to talk about the path of peace. Let's go to the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 today. As we continue in the Christmas story I'm going to start at the end of the story, and then we'll come back to the beginning. Luke chapter 1, verse 76 through 79. Zechariah has now his little boy, his baby John, is in his hands. The one that was promised to him, he begins to prophesy. This is part of what he prophesied. And you, my little son, talking about John the Baptist, and you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High Because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. So Zechariah was prophesying over his little baby John, but he was also prophesying about what the Messiah would do. The Messiah would bring salvation through the forgiveness of sins. That the Messiah would show us the mercy of God like a light shining through the darkness. And he would lead us to the path of peace. And so what this scripture tells us is that when I learn to walk with Jesus, he will lead me down the path of peace. That's the promise, and that's why it's so important that we learn how to walk in that path of peace. So we're going to look at the whole chapter 1, and we're going to read most of it. So you can follow along with me. And, uh, and so we're going to look at the story of Zechariah, a.k.a. Rich, and Mary, a.k.a. Giselle. Now... I was so busy trying to fix all the technical problems this morning. I was going to have a picture of them from yesterday to show you. They're in my phone. It didn't happen because we had to fix all the technical problems this morning. (laughs) But if you were here yesterday, you'll know Rich was Zechariah. He was awesome. Giselle was Mary. She did a great job. By the way, I'm just so proud of you guys for what you did for the Christmas show. All the hard work. It was awesome. Thank you for those who made the food so that we ate all day, for the band, the choir, the stage, the crew, everybody, the kids, everybody did great. Good job, guys. All right. So I want to look at Zachariah's story first because there's some parallels between Zechariah and Mary that will show us how to stay in peace. And so we want to look at that together today. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 20, I'm just going to read it all. Here we go. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. For you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the Father to the children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. And the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you did not believe what I said to you, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So Zachariah is serving, he's burning incense, he's worshiping the Lord, and the angel appears. And of course, the first thing he says is, don't be afraid, because if you were Zachariah, you'd be freaking out. All right, so he says, don't be afraid. I like what it says. Look in verse uh, 13. The angel said, don't be afraid, Zachariah. God has heard your prayer. You will have a son. Now, I thought about that this week. Do you think Zachariah at this age was still praying for a son? Because when the angel told him about it, he's like, um, we're old. My wife is barren. I am pretty confident that Zechariah was not praying for a son in that moment. And yet God said, the angel said, God has heard your prayer. You will have a son. Now, we don't know how old Zechariah was, but he was old. His wife was barren. So we're talking about decades of trying to have a child without being able to have one. God heard your prayer for a son. Can I tell you something? You might have prayed something years and years ago and you haven't seen it happen yet. And you think, God, where are you? You don't hear my prayers, but you don't know that at the right time, God will bring it to pass. He wasn't thinking about a son that morning. I can guarantee you he was not thinking about a baby that morning. He had given up on it a long time ago. How do you know? Look at his reply. He's like, oh, angel, yo, I know you're from God, but we're old. And the angel rebuked him for not believing. Now, he should have believed. Why? Because first of all, he was a priest. That means that he was well-versed in the history of his people. Now, who can you think of in the history of the Jewish people was really old with a wife who was really old and barren but had a son? Abraham the father of their people. So he should have known not only that, but Jacob and his wife were barren before they finally had twins. So the history of God was, I am birthing a people from an impossible situation where you're old and barren, but boop, here comes your son, Isaac. And now this situation, he had every reason to believe that God could do what he said. He was a priest, he was well studied, this was not a foreign concept to him, but yet he would read about what God did for Abraham, what God had done for Jacob, but now that God was saying, I can do it for you, he didn't believe. Hey, listen, you and I sometimes do the same thing. We see what God does in someone else's and we're like, wow, that's great, but I don't, I mean, not me, God, not me, right? You can't do it for me. I've seen you do it for them. And Ed testified about how you take care of his finances. I've given you testimonies of my finances and yet you're sitting there going, I don't know God, I don't know. We do the same thing as Zechariah. Zechariah had proof that God could do the impossible and yet when it came to him, he didn't believe. And you know what happened? He got his mouth shut. I think this is a really important point. I think God in his mercy shut the man's mouth. Sometimes the best thing you and I can do when we're struggling with faith is to shut our mouth. Because the Bible says that out of, out of, out of your, the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. So if I'm doubting the promises of God, I'm going to speak doubt. The tongue has the power of life and death. So if I don't believe God's promises and my words are agreeing with my disbelief, then I'm actually speaking death. And I'm countering the promises of God. So God in his mercy made Zachariah unable to speak. Some of us look at that and we're like, wow, that's harsh. But I think God was telling because to whom much is given, much is required. He was a priest. He should have known better. And because of that, the Lord in his mercy shut his mouth. Can you imagine nine months? I bet Elizabeth loved it. (laughs) I'm just, I don't know. Maybe I'm just saying. Come on, can't we have a little fun with the Christmas story, people? <laughs> she was probably like, hallelujah. Not only am I pregnant, but my husband is silent. <laughs> yes, oh, happy day. I mean, she does sing. I don't know, if maybe that's part of it. <laughs> but we see here how Zechariah had a history with God. He understood the power of God. He had testimonies and stories. Yet when it came to him, He had a hard time believing. Now, let's look at Mary. We're going to skip ahead in verse 26. 26, here we go. We're going to read. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So, by the way, she got pregnant. It happened. Okay? In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. Okay, I want us to com- compare and contrast what happened with Zachariah and what happened with Mary. So Zachariah is surprised by angel Gabriel's visit, so is Mary. Mary's confused and disturbed by what he said to her. Zechariah was also confused and disturbed. There's some similarities here, right? They both ask a question. Zechariah said, well, how can this be? I'm old, my wife's old, she's barren. Mary asked a question, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. Do you notice the only difference is how the angel responded? The angel rebukes Zechariah, and the angel encourages Mary. Mary. And tells her it's gonna happen and not only that but we're gonna give you a sign to show that God is true to his word your your cousin Elizabeth is is pregnant so not only does she get encouragement but confirmation and I asked myself this question why does Zachariah get a scolding and a mouth silencing and Mary gets encouragement and confirmation I don't know if you've ever noticed that in this story and I asked the Holy Spirit like what's the difference I mean, yeah, Zechariah is a priest, and so he should know, but Mary also knows about the story. She asked a question. What is the deal? They're both being told that something humanly impossible is about to happen, but they got different results, and I want to show you why. Look again at Luke 1.20. What is Zechariah? This is what the angel said to him. Verse 20, But now, since you did not believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak. So, Zachariah did not believe. Now look at Luke chapter 1, verse 45. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Mary walks in. Elizabeth, immediately, the baby within her womb jumps. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to read verse 42. Elizabeth gave a a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Now look at verse 45. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. So what was the difference between Zachariah and Mary? Belief. Zachariah's unbelief caused him to be disciplined, silent. But Mary believed. So her question was perceived differently. Her question was, Okay, I don't get it though, I'm a virgin. You know, it's the difference. And because her question was asked in faith, she got confirmation. She got encouragement. Can I tell you that when God gives you a promise, respond in faith. Because even if you have questions about it, you can ask God questions. He's not turned off by your questions, but let your questions come from a place of faith. Let your questions come up from a place of inquisitiveness, of curiosity. God, I'm not saying you can't do it. I believe you can do whatever you want, but I don't understand how. I hear what you're saying, but uh, it's not computing. Yeah, I know you guys can relate with me. If you've had any journey with the Lord, there are times that you've heard something, the Holy Spirit's impressed something on your heart, you've read a scripture, he's given you a personal word, and you're like, yeah, okay, but... How? Zechariah was like, uh-uh. How the heck is this gonna happen? Ain't it gonna happen. Disbelief. Mary, huh? Okay. I don't understand because I'm a virgin. So how can I get pregnant? Completely different response. But the and the response of Zechariah and the response of Mary delivered different results. He was silent. Unable to speak, she was encouraged and given a sign. Go see your cousin, Elizabeth. And I mean, I love how good God is. When she goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, the first thing Elizabeth said is like, oh, you're pregnant with the Messiah. Mary's probably like, who told? (laughs) You know, I mean, she gets immediate confirmation. You're not crazy. You're feeling something inside and you know you didn't sleep with anybody. And you're like, okay, God, I believe. And now her cousin is the first thing she says. She doesn't even get to say hi yet. She's like, oh! Mary, you're carrying the Messiah. You're pregnant. Put yourself in Mary's shoes. How do you know? You're blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Church, listen, this is key to the path of peace. The choice to believe will determine whether you walk in peace or you walk in chaos. Whether you walk in in brightness or in darkness, he had his mouth shut. It was the mercy of God, so he couldn't continue to speak words of death and unbelief that could have limited the promise of God. Do you know that our words of disbelief can actually limit what God can do? Because he partners with faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 11:6, without faith it is impossible to please God. When Jesus went to his hometown in Nazareth, it said he could do few miracles because of their lack of faith. So our faith is an important ingredient in our journey with God. So when God gives you a promise, even if it doesn't make sense, you need to partner it with faith. Faith is a restful place. Come on, say that. Faith is a restful place. So the path of peace is one walked in faith. So we're going to go to the book of Hebrews For a moment, Hebrews chapter 3. By the way, I have been praying that the Lord would heal my eyes, and I forgot my glasses, and I can read right now. Thank you, Jesus. You notice I'm not doing this. All right, Hebrews chapter 3. I could again read the whole thing, but I won't. I'm going to handpick a few verses. You can read all of Hebrews 3 and 4 for yourself in your own time. But Hebrews chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 12 through 15. Be careful then. Everybody say, be careful. be careful. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Turning away, turning you away from the living God. I want to pause there. If our hearts are unbelieving, it will turn us away from God. That is the danger of disbelief. If I linger in doubt and disbelief, it will turn me away from God. And it will turn me to getting a second or third job. It will turn me to getting into an addiction. It will turn me to pursuing other things to do what only God could do for me. Right, well, it's just a little doubt. No doubt. No doubt. As Christians, we need to pray doubt out. We need to take a stance of faith, whether it makes sense or not. Verse 12, look at it again. Be very careful. Be very careful. Why? Because if your heart is evil, if you have unbelief in your heart, it will turn you away from the living God. Verse 13. You must warn each other every day. Consider this a warning. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. The danger of remaining in sin is sin will harden your heart. Little by little, when you ignore the Holy Spirit, when you persist in rebellion, when you don't want to give something up that the Holy Spirit's been talking to you about, you know what happens? Your heart gets a little hard. And then the next time the Holy Spirit comes to you, your heart gets a little harder. And the more you persist in sin and in unbelief, your heart gets harder. And your heart gets harder until one day you're not even responsive to the Holy Spirit anymore. If you're in a place where you think like, I I can't feel God, I can't hear God, I can't see God, then my question would be to you, where are you in your walk with God? Is there sin in your life that you need to confess and you need to get right? Are you believing in God? Because if you're not, the danger is unbelief will lead me away from God. Sin will harden my heart against God. None of those lead to peace. Peace with God is making sure that I am right with God, not stubbornly staying in sin. Amen. Good word, Don. Yes, that's good. I know it's not fun, but it's good. It's truth, and we need to hear it because I want to keep a sensitive heart before God. I want to. I want to be sensitive to hear when the Holy Spirit is saying, "Oh, not that way, Don. Go this way." As soon as I get out of peace, I want the Holy Spirit to be like, hey, you don't have to live there. You can live here. And I'm telling you guys, I had so much time to practice this this week. You have to practice it. You have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. When you start to watch a show and the Holy Spirit is like, not this one, you need to turn it off. One time I ignored it and then I regretted it. Now I don't care if I'm a minute into it and it doesn't even seem like it's bad and the Holy Spirit says, not this one, I say, done, off. Because nothing... Matters more to me than my sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Not my entertainment, not my hobbies. Nothing. And we need to get to that place as Christians. I'm telling you, part of the entertainment, the entertainment is fine, it's not sinful, but the devil will use entertainment to distract you from the kingdom. And the devil will use entertainment to dull your heart, to make you insensitive. And it's so very important that you and I make sure that nothing is more important than God. Even if you have to tell yourself that. As much as I like football, football is not more important than God. Even when we had church during the Super Bowl. And back then, they didn't have DVRs. I said, Jesus, you're more important. It hurts. This is worship. But nothing can be more important than God. Let's keep reading. Verse 14. For if we are faithful to the end, everybody read the next two words, trusting God... So how do we stay faithful? Trusting God. Okay? If we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believe, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Christ is the Prince of Peace. He is divine wisdom, mighty God, God. Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father. He is everything and so much more to us. And the way we are able to share in what Christ has given to us is we must continue to trust and obey. Verse 15, remember what it says. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. This is what Zechariah did. He heard the voice of God through the angel uh, Gabriel. And when angel said, this is what God is saying to you, he heard your prayer from like 35 years ago and he's here to answer it. And then Zechariah's like, I don't believe it. Because I believe that year after year, when he would ask God for a son, time and time again, and he was never given a child, part of his heart got hard. Part of his heart got hard. Part of his heart got hard. It says he was righteous. It says that he obeyed all the commands. But there was something in him that when God finally spoke, he couldn't believe. we got to be so careful that we don't let our hearts become hardened by unbelief and sin. Because then when God does speak, we can't believe. Okay, we're going to keep reading. Verse 19. So we see that because of their unbelief, he's talking about the Israelites right now, right, in the promised land. So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to what? Enter his rest. Rest and peace are synonymous. Faith is a restful place. Peace is a restful place. They are directly tied together. Faith and peace are directly connected. That's why gratitude is so powerful. Because when I give thanks in the middle of a challenging situation, I'm doing so in faith. Faith. I'm choosing where to focus my attention, where to point my heart. Because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Sometimes what you and I are doing, we're staying in unbelief, and we're freaked out, stressed out, worn out, and done out. And what we need to do is get back to a place of belief. Let's keep reading chapter 4, verse 1. God's promise of entering his rest still stands, still available. Still available. So we ought to tremble with fear so that some of you, wait, so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. So what does this tell me? God promises rest, peace, but there is the possibility that we could miss it. This is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. You need to be aware that not everybody may experience it. It's available, peace and rest, but whether you experience it or not, that's up to you. Verse 2. For this good news that God has prepared this rest, peace on earth, goodwill to men, has been announced to us just as it was to them. Look at this carefully. But it did them no good. Why? Because they did not share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. Wow. Wow. Go back to verse 2. Just just take a look at that. It says that they could not share it. The news, the promise, the excitement, the good news did them no good because why? They didn't share in the faith. So in order for you and I to have the good news of Christ, to receive the good news of Christ, you and I must not just listen but combine listening with faith. That faith will allow us to have his rest. Verse 3. Right? Just the first part, for only we who believe can enter his rest. Zachariah didn't believe. He didn't have rest, I bet, for quite a bit until he finally obeyed God. And they said, what are you going to name him? Elizabeth said, John. And they're, John? 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 Nobody in his family's named John. John's a weird name. What about Zachariah? Zachariah Jr. Come on. They had their own June June. Let's do this. And because women had no say, they left. They just went by, Elizabeth, you don't know John, whatever. Let's go to Zachariah. Come on, Zachariah, what are you going to say? His name is John. John. Good job, he memorized his lines. (laughs) And the moment he writes down his name is John, his mouth was released and he began to prophesy. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he began to prophesy. Because he combined faith and obedience, his mouth was loose, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. That's so good. For only we who believe can enter his rest. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. i got to find it. There we go. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter. Why? Because they disobeyed God. Go down to verse 11. So let us do our best to enter that rest. For if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. So now, and not only do we have to believe God, right, faith, faith, Keep trusting in Him. These are things that we're reading in Scripture that will keep us in a place of rest. But we also have to obey God. It's not just enough to say, okay, God, you do it, and I'm just going to do what I want to do. It doesn't work that way. We must combine obedience with our faith. Faith moves us to obedience. So in order for us to have the rest of God, I must believe I must make sure that I am living in a place of obedience and trust. It says, don't let evil in your heart. Pure hearts, faith, trust, and obey. Now, I want to point something out because here's the connection. Look at this. I'm going to read verse 11 again. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Verse 12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are, accountable now we love this verse we can quote this verse but now do you understand in context this verse is talking about faith and obedience so the word of god is a mirror you read it and it'll show you uh oh, don you don't really believe that how do you know because there's times when i'll read scripture and what i read doesn't align with what i'm experiencing and in that moment i have a choice do I believe what God's word says, or do I not believe it because my experience in that moment is not matching it? I don't know if you've ever had to wrestle in a place like that, but I've had to wrestle with God in a place like that. The God says, you can meet all my needs, really? I'm still single, you can meet all my needs? Yeah, right, throw my Bible. Really God, really, that's how you feel? All my needs. Well, you got me clothed and fed, but I don't about all my needs. And he says, all your needs. Ah. My soul says. "Ah." And in that moment, you have a place, an opportunity to say, God, even though this is not my experience in the moment, your word is always true. My experience is not. Therefore, I will trust your word and not my experience. Do not ever limit God to your experience. Do not ever confine his word to what you think and understand and feel and you're going through. Because his word is true even if your life is not matching up to what you think it means. And sometimes it's not that. It's just that you have an idea of what you think it should be, but God's ways are always better. And his thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are not your ways. So you have an opportunity to say, I will trust. And the word of God will expose areas of sin, the word of God will expose areas of unbelief, the word of God will do so. Why? Because what does it say in verse 13? It says that God sees everything. Now, how do you know that's true? Because Zechariah asked a question and Mary asked a question. Zechariah got in trouble. Why? Because he did not believe. God saw through his question to what? Unbelief, his heart. And Mary asked a question and she got a different response. Because God saw her heart and in her heart there was faith. So look at this in context. Hebrews 4, verse 12 and 13, the word of God will cut. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It shows us where we are right with God and it shows us where we need to submit to God. It shows us where we have faith and it shows us where we are struggling in our faith. And that's why, my friends, I want you to bring your Bibles on Sunday. That's why I want you to get in the habit of reading the word of God every single day. Because how will you know if you're in faith or not? How will you know what God wants to speak to you or not? A once a week Sunday sermon ain't going to cut it. I mean, I'm good, but I ain't that good. Because you're going to leave here and forget most of what I say anyway. But when you walk with God, when you read the word on a regular basis, man, there are times, guys, where something will come up out of me, and I was like, where would that come from? I'll quote scripture and I'll be like, where did that come from? Because I've spent time in the word. It's there. And when you need it, it comes out. But you got to read it. I was struck this week when I was studying about this concept of faith and belief being a restful place. And how we're invited to enter the rest of God through faith. And then I read the word of God is alive and active. Nothing is hidden from verse 13. Nothing is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed. We are accountable to him. That means God can show us what's really inside our heart. And that's why it's really important that we don't place our faith in what we can see, and what we're feeling, and what our circumstance looks like. We must keep our faith on God and on his word. Amen. Let's keep reading. Verse 14. So then... Since we have a great high priest who has entered into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Here's the next thing to walking in peace. you got to hold firmly to what you believe. That means there's going to be opportunities that your faith will be tested. There will be opportunities where what you believe will be challenged. And you have to, have a, you have to make the choice to hold tight to it. you got to hold tight to the promise of God. Verse 15, this high priest I love this. This high priest of ours, what? He understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. Verse 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. So when you and I are trying to live in a place of rest before God, if we're struggling with faith, if we're struggling with sin, if we are not walking in obedience, you know where you run to? The throne of grace. The throne of God. He says you can come boldly, not because you deserve it, but because Jesus opened the way. So when I struggle, I run to God. When I'm working on trying to position my heart in a place of faith, I got to go to God. When my circumstance doesn't match his promise, I go to the word of God. I go to the presence of God. I go before his throne. And there it says we will find mercy and grace to help us when we need it most. So I'm going to summarize what Hebrews 3 and 4 tell us. In order for us to walk in faith, to be at rest, which equals peace, number one, you have to have a pure heart. You have to have a pure heart, no evil lurking within your heart. Number two, you got to believe. You have to believe the word of God. No matter how you feel, no matter what's happening, you have to believe. Number three, you got to remain faithful. Number four, you got to keep. I know it's up there. Number five, you got to. Number six, you got to read. Number seven, you got to. This side is awesome. You need to be louder. You got to what? Come on. If you will do these things, you will stay in the path of peace. You will walk the path of peace if you will do these things again. Let's go back to Luke 1, and we're going to end here. Luke chapter 1, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son, and when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zachariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, No, his name is John. What? There's no one in your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet. To everyone's surprise, he wrote, His name is John. Instantly, instantly, Zachariah could speak again. And what was his initial response? He began praising God. Can I tell you, Zechariah learned something in nine months. (laughs) Zechariah had nine months of his own thoughts. Zechariah couldn't talk. He had nine months to meditate on his encounter with the angel. He had nine months to meditate upon the rebuke of God and his faith. He had nine months to think about what was going to happen. You know what I like about this story, by the way, this other point about this story is how patient God is. Nine months, God was so patient. I don't know about you, but God's really patient with you. If you don't know it, believe me. God is more patient with you than you think He is. Mm-hmm. I know that about me. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, you're so patient with me. I'd have been like, gone he's really incredibly kind and patient with all of us. I'm so grateful that he is, that he's willing to work with us Even when we struggle with faith, even when we struggle with questions, even when we wrestle with the difference between what we read in the word and what we are experiencing in our life, if we will continue to go to him, I tell you, he is so patient and kind and loving and good, he can bring us to this place where all of a sudden we partner in obedience to his word and our mouths are open. And the first thing Zachariah does is he praises God. So amazing to me. So amazing And then verse 67, it says, Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to prophesy. He went from being mute to praising and prophesying. Can I tell you something, church? That should be our response praise and prophesy. Well, I don't know. I don't have the, the gift of prophecy. I'm not talking about the corporate gift of prophecy but I'm talking about where you partner your faith with what God says that's prophecy. God you said that you will heal me of this disease even though I'm still struggling in this disease I'm going to partner my faith with that and I'm going to declare I am healed in Jesus name. That's how you prophesy. God, I thank you that the Bible says you heal me of all my diseases. I thank you that you are Jehovah Rapha. You're the God that heals and restores and refreshes. I thank you, God, that you healed the blind man and the leper and the lame man and you rose the dead. And I thank you that you promised to heal me as well. And even though I'm still in pain in this moment, I partner my faith in your promise. And I declare I'm healed in Jesus' name. You have to partner your faith. And you prophesy what God speaks to you. I have a prodigal that I'm praying for and I partner my faith every single time. It looks impossible. I just thank them again. Lord, I thank you because you promised the prodigals will come home. And I prophesy in the name of Jesus, she's coming home. I don't care what she did that looks like the opposite because I'm not agreeing with what I see. I'm agreeing with the word of God. So you got to partner your faith and praise and prophecy. Speak the word of God that he's given you for your kids. Speak the word of God that he's given you for your family. When you see your kid acting up in your mouth, you don't say, oh, you little brat. No, you say, you are a son of God and you're going to grow up and be a mighty man of God. And you might be going through this right now, but I already know because as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and my kids are being trained in the way they should go and when they get old, they will not depart from it. So you might behaving like a brat, but you are really a man of God. You need to prophesy over your family. Stop criticizing. Stop complaining. Prophesy in accordance with the word of God over your kids, over your family, over your marriage. Should I go there? (laughs) Why don't you prophesy life over your marriage? Instead of complaining about what they will and will not do. Prophesy life. Speak life. Prophesy. Zechariah had to be quiet for nine months. Some of you might benefit from that. So here's what I'm going to say. If you can't speak in faith, shut your mouth. If you cannot partner your faith with the promise of God, shut your mouth. Because you would be better off than speaking death over what God's promised to you. Partner your faith with praise and prophecy. Amen. Let's pray. Stand up. Hallelujah. Come on, June June. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, I want to invite you in this moment. Let's turn the house lights down. I want to invite you in a moment. I'm going to make Daniel come play a little behind me, bro. Thank you. I mean, I can't do it all today. By God's grace. (laughs) I know the whole worship team wanted to be off today. I wonder why. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, I want you just to, to think about what God has given you, a promise that hasn't happened yet. Something that God has promised you. Maybe it's Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you for a future and a hope. Instead of worrying about your future, prophesy that verse over it. Maybe it's the finances like what Ed talked about earlier and you've been worried about your finances, but instead you need to change your words and you need to prophesy that he is Jehovah Jireh who will provide all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I don't know what you're struggling with, but in this moment I want you to come before God and if you've struggled in faith, if you've struggled with unbelief, you need to repent in this moment. You need to ask the Lord to forgive you for not believing his word. If you've tried to match your experience with the promise of God, you need to repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. If you haven't been in a path of peace because you have been in persistent disobedience in sin before the Lord, you need to repent. Because you'll never walk a path of peace unless you have a clean heart, unless you have belief and you trust and you obey. You have to do that. Come on in this moment. I want you to become very serious before the Lord. If you've spoken words that are opposite of his promise, ask for forgiveness. In fact, I want you to break those words and cancel them. If you say, God, I don't believe that you can do it, you need to say, God, in this moment, I repent for speaking that you cannot do what you said, and I break that word curse off of that promise, and I take it to the cross, and I nail it there in Jesus' name. Because guys, words carry life and death. So some of you have spoken some words about your kids, your spouse, your future, your finances. And you need to come before God and repent and ask him to break those word curses that you have spoken out. Because you're agreeing with the devil. You're not agreeing with God. And you break it off in Jesus' name. I repent for speaking this. I take it and I renounce it and I nail it to the cross. If that's you, you need to do that in this moment. And now I want you to come and bring before God the promise, something that you've been worried about, something that's been stealing your peace, something that's been trying to take from you. And I want you to hold it before the Lord and say, God, I am trusting you with this. I am partnering in faith that you've got this. Come on, give it to him. I won't carry it anymore. I'm not going to carry the weight. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to fear. I'm going to give it to you in faith right now. Now, as you do that and you feel him taking that pressure off, you're going to feel that release. You're going to feel it coming off of you, melting away. You're going to feel some of that just subsiding in this moment as you release it to him. Even online, you could do this at home. Last but not least, I want you to partner your faith with praise and prophecy. So in this moment, I want you to begin praising God for this situation you still haven't seen accomplished yet. That thing that's been stealing your peace, but we gave it to God. So now we're going to begin to praise him. Whatever it is, God, I thank you that you are provider. I thank you that you're healer. I thank you that you are deliverer. I thank you that you are prince of peace. I thank you that you are all that you say you are. And I can have all that belongs to you. God, I thank you for who you are. I praise you. You're God. You're good. You've got me. Come on. I need to hear your voices. Because I can't do it for you. You got to do it yourself. We use our mouth to complain, let's use our mouth to praise. Now begin to prophesy. Begin to prophesy over this thing that you've been holding on to that you've given to God. Begin to prophesy scripture over it. Begin to prophesy. If he spoke to you and gave you a promise, speak it forth like it's already done. Because the angel told Zachariah, your wife will conceive. It was a done deal, even though it wasn't done yet. God heard your prayer 35 years ago. Hmm. God, we prophesy in agreement with your spirit. We partner our faith with your promise. We speak. It is done for the word of God will never fail. I prophesy that the word of God will never fail. I prophesy that every single promise of the Lord will come to pass in Jesus name. I prophesy that prodigals will come home. I prophesy that my finances will be cared for. I prophesy life over marriages. I prophesy life and destiny over our kids, that they are being trained in the way they should go. And when they grow up, they will not depart from it, but they will become big columns and stewards of faith in this house in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Visit us in person or online at hwcim.org.